a southern edition of the Zero Hour. Giddy up, y'all. <laughs> Guess who this is? That's right. It's your co-host. It's Mark Fitz. Accompanied by... Christine Chapman, your host. You might Hello. Be, hello. Holla. You might be wondering why I had a southern drawl. Uh, because today we're with the cowboy. Peter, say hello. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be shy. Step right up. And Peter, you're not Southern in uh, any way, shape, or form. Or am I a cowboy? Um, Which makes this all the more confusing for people listening right okay, now. Okay, so <laughs> I'm going to give the genesis of the cowboy story. And there's a picture someplace, right? And yes, And we'll post yes. it as part of this podcast. <laughs> so... The first time I met Peter was with Christine and Peter and his wife. Remind me of her name, please. Amy. Shout out to Amy. Hi, Amy. Uh, hi, Amy. Uh, and we're at uh, a steak place in Shrewsbury. We have a great dinner. We're having drinks. We're whooping it up. We're feeding ourselves. And then Peter and Amy go out uh, to wait for their car. And Peter is standing there with one heel up. And his thumbs in his boot, in his uh, belt his, buckles, his thumb in his belt buckles. And I looked at him, I go, What are you, a cowboy dude? <laughs> and like, I sit, I stood like right next to him with my like foot up and thumbs in my belt loops as well. So I am perhaps the only one, and I am privileged to refer to you as the cowboy. You know, it, it all. You never know what's going to happen when you choose a shirt or a pair of boots for dinner. <laughs> but it just turned out that I I did a, a cowboy lean. I don't know why. It yes, just seemed appropriate at that moment. Listen, man, you might be in a car. You might have been in the car with Amy. Be like, I'm the cowboy. He's the douchebag. You know? <laughs> I definitely did not say that. He is the whatever. Wacko. Um, so... Peter, wow, how do we introduce... So we were talking about, like, how to introduce you, right? Um, And there are so many interesting things about the world from which you come from, have developed, and and do that, man, I'm just going to, like, throw it out there. But before I do, I always like to toss it over to the hostess with the mostess. If you want to kickstart this a little bit without giving too much, what are you looking at right now, for example? I'm looking at... Peter's book, because Peter is an author. One of the many titles that he has. Um, He is an entrepreneur. Title number two. He is a dad. Title number three. He's a husband. Title number four. Um, He is the anti-self-made man. He is the anti-establishment. He gives me hope in corporate America again, right? There's only like two or three people have actually revitalize my belief in that well, corporate what Kevin O'Connor okay but I yeah. mean is is Peter indicative of corporate America or the or what happens when one decides corporate America is no longer for him well it's Alarming to listen to two people talk about you as if you're not in the room. Yeah, when sorry, I'm sorry, you, Peter. <laughs> and I'm trying to think. I'm like, who are we talking about here? You in a third person, sir. So, <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I had a corporation, and that corporation sold to you know sold products to other corporations, um, but I didn't take a traditional route to yes. owning that company and, and being a part of that. Does not taking that traditional route change the framework for which how you how you're able to navigate and manage and build well probably because if i had gone to school and business school and i probably would have learned sort of in quotes the right way to do something mm-hmm. um, because i never did that and don't know what the right way to do something is i just do it the way i think it should be done um, and a lot of that involves just making it up as you go along. So, I, so like I, a fake it till you make it? Yeah. Well, that definitely was the case. I mean, my first job was a fake it until you make it. I don't know if you want to talk about that okay, now. But, okay. But, so can, can we... Wait. Please. Wait. Wait. Can we, can we ask... Sick. Can we ask Peter what, this, what his zero hour is and allow for him to... We can in due time, miss. <laughs> okay, yes, we yes. can. Um... Before we get into Peter's zero hour, I, I 
I'm going to say something that he's going to argue against, and I'm expecting you to argue against it. In our pre-meeting, in our prep call, in our guardrails call, we talked about this uh, this, this word self-made, right? Um, you disagree to us and others referring to you as a self-made person. You're like, actually, no, I'm not self-made. I'm made by influences around me, right? Well, and I think I, I took it even a step further and said I just don't believe that anybody is self-made. Not, yes. not, not even the most successful CEO, independently wealthy person that you can imagine. Literally no one is self-made. Um, okay, so I, now you have to expand on that. Yeah. It's a I new mean, perspective for a lot of people. I, I hear people say, uh, well, that guy, he, he – brought himself up by the bootstraps and he did it all himself and you know what a wonderful story about I don't know pick pick somebody you no they you. don't say that about me they say that about other people but and what I say is okay so he was a titan of industry that's wonderful but every employee that he had was educated in a public school most likely every employee he had drove to his office or you know however they did their job on roads paid for by the public when Somebody broke into their house. The police came. That was a public service. When somebody left the stove on, the fire department came. All of these things that ensured the wellness, education, safety, and the ability for those people to actually show up and produce some product that that titan of industry was able to monetize is made by our collective contribution. So anybody standing there saying, I did it all by myself and I built this tremendous business or you know whatever they say – is full of shit. You're the first I've okay. ever heard say that. And well, and it's truly a really humble look, right? At at all that you have uh, have have, have accomplished, experienced, been given, even in the humblest of of times, perhaps as well, right? To be able to like, it's a really. Hey, we're recording in the month of November. Happy November. And it's a message around gratitude, I think. Like that that perspective personifies to me what it what it means to be grateful for every every person who was responsible for even the 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 most basic aspects that we don't think about. My company org chart had me at the bottom and then my management team at the next level above and then their team at the next level above. It was an inverted pyramid Yeah. because essentially I looked at my job at some point as, you know, um, I'm here to help unstick people. So if you're stuck on something, you know, something's not working right, a customer's upset, somebody's not giving you what they need. You know, my job was really just to help them, you know, remove that roadblock and help them move on. And and that was really the function of the last part of the years that I owned the company. Um, I'm nothing without that team. And and the fact is, there's a lot of people who start a business and they've got a single shingle, and that's great, but mm-hmm. you cannot scale that without other people. And those people all came, they are the product of everybody else's collective impact. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yes, totally agree to that. Um, so I, I'm not going to be able to quote it verbatim, but... Elon Musk has said uh, that he doesn't want to take his doesn't want to put his kids in college because they'll get experience through life and probably through one of the many businesses that Elon has. Right. So the question to you, Peter, is, is a B school, an Ivy League education, they don't feel as if they are necessary for success just based upon people we know. Right. Is it? A requirement, in your opinion, to have an enlightened education in order to be successful. I think that the likelihood of an education increases your success rate, right? Or does it not? So if I were Elon, I would definitely enroll my kids in an Ivy League school. And the reason why, or or whatever school they could get into. And the reason why is because Elon's kids are never going to know the feeling that Elon had that drove him to be the man he is. Now, Elon was not, I don't know his story super well, but I don't think he grew up scraping, all right? But I did, all right? So we were 
poor and hungry. And hunger is a powerful motivator. Yes, it is. Okay. And a lot of people, you will find a lot of people that have achieved something in their life came from circumstances where it was like an iron sharpens iron situation. They had to do what they did in order to have the kind of life that they dreamed of having. Um, Elon's kids aren't going to have that problem. I mean, just like – and by the way, even mentioning me or having this conversation, we're nowhere close, okay? Because he's, you know, yeah. so I don't want to say that I'm comparing, but as you know, I mean, my kids are in college right now, yeah. even yeah. though I didn't go. Yeah. Because they had a very comfortable life relative to the kind of life I had growing up. So the so that's why they're never going to have that fire or the hunger. So that's why they should get that education. But the most important thing that they're going to pull out of that is probably not the knowledge that they gain, but more the people they meet. Yes. Okay? So, you know, it, it, it's like being in the right room, okay? If if you graduate from a state school with a law degree, that's one thing. If you graduate from Yale with a law degree, that's another. And if you look at the Supreme Court or the attorney attorneys general, you look at these. These are people that all have Ivy League law educations. Why? Because... Yeah, they're good law schools, but also certain companies recruit out of those law schools because mm-hmm. so it's kind of a who you know. You're now in a room with other people who can introduce you to other experiences. That's you know that's really interesting because um, I have um, I have a senior in high school this year, and so for the first time I'm dealing with questions around you know I'm a single mom largely, and and we we don't have a lot in terms of being able to look at an Ivy League education conference. And I and I said to my daughter, I said, okay, so so we've gone ED, but what if we don't have enough money at the Ivy League institution you would love to be able to commit to? And UMass, which is our flagship wonderful institution, offers you the opportunity, you know, hope, fingers crossed, that um, you get into the Honors College and have a much smaller bill, uh, potentially, uh, you know, very close to nothing. You know, what would that mean to you? What would you choose and she she came back with I, I understand what an Ivy League you know degree would be and if it means that we would have to go into you know debt I'm willing to take on that responsibility and now I understand and that I, and I get that to Peter yeah now yeah, yeah, I yeah. understand yeah but all right so I'm going to recant a movie scene that kind of reminds me <laughs> of your humble beginnings your children's not so humble beginnings and how do they do better than their dad because that's the parents' wish. Is we, that we always want our they. kids so to do better than in Rocky, whatever 12, 8, 7, 6, right? Rocky from Philly is now in this luxurious mansion and he's got this fat little stupid kid, right? Who is growing up privileged, right? How does that kid? meet his father's expectations? Does he meet, how does that kid make his own way? Peter, you said something about the people you meet. So is that the hope that your children meet people that inspire them, right, to do better than dad? Like how does a child of a successful parent succeed their parents? Is that possible? Yes, and and I think my children are already, I already know they're much more successful than I was if you just compare age to age. Age to age. Okay. Oh, so yeah. they're, so they're, yeah. they're way ahead in terms of what they know, their understanding of the world, their ability to set and achieve goals. Um, but, you know, a lot of this is credit to my wife and how we were both raised in a very similar way, you know, with not very much. And so... Shout out to Amy. When it, yeah. When it came to the the you know, the children and the raising the children, I was primarily working a lot. I mean, I was working a ton and she handled it all. And, you know, so all of the foundational components, um, even though we had more money then and we could give them experiences, you know, she was very good at like reminding them of how much things cost. Um, That's of, like, and, they, and they had jobs. And they all had jobs. Yeah. Even though they were the only kids that have jobs, they still, in a private school, they're some of the only kids that are working right now. They don't need to work, but sure. we worked. We yeah. always worked. Yeah. And, and it's important. And yeah. We feel like you've got to always be, if you've got, if you're taking three classes, you have time to have a 
10 hour exactly. a week job or something exactly. like that. So it's about just making sure they work. And why do they work? Because I don't really care if they made, you know, minimum wage at working at the grocery store, but you know, they would come home with stories like, wow, I was in the break room today and that guy who's the butcher is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And I heard him say some stuff. And, and so it's those experiences that yes. I get. And like, like some people would say, you don't want your kid around those experiences. But I'm thinking to myself, yeah. actually, you know what? You're learning a little bit about how the world works. And you're also learning that you probably don't want to be a butcher in a grocery store when you grow up. Okay, yep. that's fine. Yeah. It's a great job and people need to do it. But maybe that's not for you. Yep. So that's why they have to work at a young age. That's why they, you know, that that's how they become successful is by just always working from the very beginning. When I was um, 13 years old, there was a berry farm two miles away from um, from the town I lived in. And there was a school bus they had taken and they would yep. bring people up. I was the only white kid working in the raspberry field because the rest were Cambodian families that lived mm-hmm. on the farm. Yeah. Wow. I was the only kid from town that worked and I would pick a flat of berries mm-hmm. every day or more than one flat, you know, but I was never as fast as them. Mm-hmm. They were amazing. They yeah. worked way yeah. harder than I did. How I was just a teenager. A flat? Just, what does a flat of berries look <laughs> well, like? Well, you have like eight containers. Yeah. Okay. So you have eight little, ra- when you buy raspberries, yeah. that's yeah, yeah, one yeah. little container. Right? Oh, okay. Okay. So a flat would like be four. It's a pal. Yeah. It'd be got like it. four, right. four, two rows of four. Okay? okay. So eight containers of berries and you got to fill them up. Right. Yeah. And then you turn them into the central little hut in the middle of the field and they count it all out, look at it and go, okay, that's about right. And then check, there's another 35 cents for you. So, wow. I mean, it would, you know. So it was and, 35 oh, cents it was so flat. It was so little. At the very, so, the, so again, I'm 13 years old. I, I loved to skateboard at the time. And I just, I had always a shitty skateboard. And I was like, I'm saving my money. I'm saving my money. At the end of the season, um, I went and I bought the best skateboard. I mean, like I bought it, but you know, and it's so dumb, right? But I was so proud. No, it's not. It's amazing. I had like 240 bucks or something, but I was so proud that I had, you know, spent three months with raspberry thorns. You know what I mean? And 36 cents a pound. It was ridiculous. It was so cheap. That's crazy. So let's, dude, this is a nice segue into the zero hour moment. Into your zero hour, where, where you grew up, how you grew up. Uh, and how that environment and who raised you has made you the person you are today. So I said something uh, during our prep that may have taken you off guard, and it won't this time, but it's your mom, right? It's your mom's hustle. It's your mom's hustle culture. You told the story about she rented a kitchen in the school because she was, there was a movie set in town, right. and she wanted to make extra money or, or I don't know what what that was but she get you get that drive from your from your family from your mom it, it feels like yeah so i grew up in a um, shit town in washington state very rural it yep. was about an hour from seattle um it's uh you know it's the industry then was logging okay that okay. was that okay. was the, that was the industry in that town um and my mother worked a job. She worked two jobs. She was a, a she was a waitress, and then she was a bartender. All okay, right? single single mom, you know, broken home. Me and my sister, latchkey kids. It's like you you've heard so this story a million yep. times. So was I, but yeah. I don't live in you know so, I don't live where you live. So it's a million times a day you hear this story, right? It's yep. not that unusual. Um, my um, my mother, though, to the story you were talking about at. I think I was about 12 years old and uh, a Hollywood uh, studio decided to film a movie in my town. Yes. With starring Corey Feldman. Wow. Oh my God. So now Corey was a bit past his, you know, his uh, lost boy days, then, yeah. like his success, yes. right? Yes. He'd, he'd had struggled with addiction and some other issues. So, but he was still Corey Feldman. Yes. And so he was coming to town. So this was like a big deal to like our little shit town. And uh, they, of course, they need lots of local services to run a production. They need people to drive the stars. They need all kinds of lodging. Yes, yes, like absolutely. Catering is one thing they need. They need to be able to feed the crew. Uh, two meals a day. They got to feed them breakfast because mm-hmm. the shoot always starts early and they need to feed them lunch and then that's the mm-hmm. end. Mm-hmm. So they looked around for people that would do that. And my mother um, somehow got in touch with them and said, I, I could do that. She had never done that before. Yep. Um, and she 
uh, figured out a way to rent the kitchen at the high school. It was summertime. Yep. Um, so so school was out. This is you. And this is all your, your, all your entrepreneurial endeavors, figuring it out. Right. Uh, so I don't mean to cut you off, but right as we were talking, right before we got on the air, you were like, yo, I've tried so many things. Some of them have been successful. Some of them haven't been. But this is where you get her from. She's figuring out how to do it. So you you do, because she didn't have a roadmap. And you're right. I mean, she she had to just sort of sort it out. And she was able to feed yeah. a crew of a couple of hundred people for, a I think it was a 10 or 12-week shoot. Wow. And, of course, I, I was a part of that. I mean, I, I helped her prep. I helped her wash dishes. I delivered the the food. Brought the berries. Brought the berries. Uh, You know, I got to hang out on the movie a little bit. I was in the movie, me and my friends. Really? So, you know, like. That's so cool. Well, just, you know, extras, that kind of thing. Wait, what's the name of the movie? It's called called Edge of Honor. Now, you'll find it on YouTube. No one should spend the hour and a half watching this. (laughs) I'm I'm warning. (laughs) Please, please do not. But when you do. Edge of Honor. If you do, if you have like literally nothing else to do. And I mean nothing. Like, look at your phone and you have no friends, like no emails, <laughs> then no Then watch it. Yeah, like, that's fine. Only then. But, but <laughs> you will know me as the kid who gets killed. As the kid who gets killed, okay? Because there was a scene in which, uh, hey, and I'll tell you another B-list star, Don Swayze. That's Patrick Swayze's brother. Wow. Was in this. He comes into the camp we're in and he goes and shoots everybody up. And so that's me. You were killed, killed by was, Don Swayze, get, Patrick was, Swayze's brother. That, you know, honestly, that is my claim to fame. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, good night. <laughs> I love like that. This, that should be on my epitaph. Was killed by Don oh. Swayze. Patrick Swayze's <laughs> brother, parenthetically. Yeah. Oh. oh my god, I so love that. Go. Okay, so you're you're an author, uh, a B film movie star. <laughs> that, that's that. your LinkedIn profile, dude. Yes. Yes. Do you have a sad card? That no. I was an extra, so uh. you don't have to have a sad uh. card in order to do that. No, I'm not out striking right now. Oh my god. All right, that's... so back. To the Here's zero hour. back to the moment. Yes. Uh, it's Christmas, right? Yes. Go for it, Peter. So uh, again, I've talked about our our uh, <laughs> impoverished beginnings. Yes. Um, you know, Christmas. My mom. You know, look. To give her credit. She she tried. You know, we'd have a Christmas tree. You know, we'd have a couple of things under the under the tree. Um, my uh, my mother's sister, though, lived in San Diego, and she had married a, a guy who was an investment banker. So he was making a ton of money, and she was making a ton – or they were making a ton mm-hmm. of money. They didn't have any kids. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she was great. I never met – honestly, n- don't remember ever meeting her until I was like 17. I met her one time okay. in my life. Wow. But she would never – uh, fail to remember her sister's children. And so my sister and I would get a really nice gift from her. She would mail it up and, yep. and it would come. So and my mom would have like, you know, socks or something. And then my aunt Leslie would have like some incredible, you know, like some big box or yeah. something. So yeah. one year she bought me this really great stereo I was very excited yeah. about. Yeah. So it was like, wow, what's it going to be? Yeah. Well, there was this box. I was eight years old and there's this box under the tree. Um, I open it up. I can't wait to tear it open. And I, I look at it and I, I don't really understand what it is. It says Tandy TRS-80 on it. And a Tandy TRS-80, for those of you that aren't computer historians, is uh-huh. like a Commodore 64. It yes. was like yeah. a it was like a, a cheap computer that you could plug into your TV. You didn't need a monitor and that kind of thing. You could plug into your TV and you could kind of do stuff. So I had never seen anything like this. And so, I of course, I tear open the box and the manual – you know, has instructions of how to connect it up uh, to your TV. Um, so I did. We had a little black and white TV, you know. And <laughs> We all did, dude. I still do. In the 80s? Oh. Um, <laughs> Most people had gone to color yeah, by Color by yeah, the okay. 80s, so, yes, yes. But, but, but we, we, we plugged this in, and, um, and the, the book had, uh, it had some, not only had it connected, but it had an instruction manual of how to do some basic, that's B-A-S-I-C, Programming, yep. which was the programming language that was that was embedded on the computer, and so I started following the instructions in the book and typing little, you know, to make a little program. And I wrote my first computer program on that uh, computer when I was eight years old, and then I just really got into it, and I really loved. Well, I just loved the idea of being able to, you know. 
it's it's hard to describe, but like so, computer programming is like you know it only does what you tell it to do. So maybe yeah. I'm maybe psychologically I'm a control freak. You know, we can get into that if you want to do some you know armchair <laughs> analysis here. But <laughs> but like like you tell it to do something and it either works or it doesn't. And yeah. if it doesn't work, it's because you told it to do the wrong thing. Yes. Right. All right. Yes. And there was something very gratifying about being able to see that kind of creation on a screen, and it really intrigued me. Do you remember what you wrote? Yes. Yeah. Oh, of course. Everybody remembers their first okay. computer program. It's, uh, wait, wait, wait. I, I've, never, I, the I've never had a well, first computer I. program. Anyone that's, sorry. I should have said anybody that has written one remembers, remembers. that. Okay. And, and the first one is – the one that everybody writes first typically now is Hello World. Okay? That's the one. That's okay. a very common right. one right. people do. Yep. Mine said – Pete is cool, and it just looped it infinitely. Love it was just it. an infinite loop that just printed Pete is cool Pete is up cool. and down the screen Pete the whole time. Cool. So oh, I was amazing. like, oh, wow, look at that, you know? So, so listen, like, not every eight-year-old growing up in rural Seattle, rural, you know, Washington State, starts like this. You see, I, I, I seem to think that you and others like you are a part of this one percenter, right? You and... What I, what I mean is there's a very small population of Peter Thomases out there uh, who have intellect that far exceeds most other people. Yes, I'm pumping you up right now, and you're humble as a day. <laughs> and you're going to shut me down. Not true. I, see what I tell you. Uh, <laughs> but my belief versus your belief doesn't matter, right? But if I, dude, I would end up, if I was eight years old, playing with the box, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> rather than writing a computer program, like so you're the you're God. in my opinion are a one percenter. Right? I but I would have to agree. I mean, honestly, I've always been struck by your story and your sort of openness around everything um, that you believe in, that you you know um, that you have experienced, and and how much you want to help others. And I think that's a very one percenty kind of thing. Peter? Um, well, that term has a lot of, it's very loaded. Yes. Um, okay. So uh, I, I don't, I don't really know how to be anybody, but, but you, who yeah. I am. So I don't really know how to respond to that. But when you were talking, it reminded me that that wasn't the first. Um, well, I had another business idea before that. And my, I only know that because my mother had kept the letter that she Apparent no, she mailed it. But I had come up with a, vid- a board game, and I'd sent it to Parker Brothers, and I you had? diagrammed the whole thing. I was like in second grade or something, and I and they I said you can keep all the money. I just want to see the game and be able to play it or something. And I think what was it Monopoly? <laughs> yeah, they <laughs> you're you know, the of Monopoly. To be honest with you, like I'm waiting for my royalty check still. They, no, they they sent back a nice form letter saying thank you very much, we really sweet. Shit. Here's the original letter, you know. So my mother kept the whole thing or whatever. But you're just reminding me like. I don't know. I just I just had that kind of like mind where I just wanted to like make things and, you and, know? and a sense of curiosity so. that I think you still have. Like, you know, I think you're driven by that. So, Very cool. Wait. So do you have like I, do you have a hard time sleeping uh, only for the mere fact that not, not stressed out about business and whatnot, but your mind keeps going like when we when we when we pre jammed. You're like I'm only getting started. Like there's there's a lot more to go. Um, do you sleep well at night? Are you always always thinking? So I I do uh, candidly I sleep a lot better since I sold the company because okay. there was all of that business stress like you were talking about. Yeah. I mean you you do worry about you know your customers and you worry about your team and you worry about financial stuff. You know? yeah. I mean, you, there's just all the things you worry about when you're running a, a company. So I definitely sleep better now, but in terms of like the amount of sleep I get, it's usually only about six hours a night. That's all my body tells me to sleep. And I just sort of wake up and I will often wake up in the middle of the night, you know, with an idea or with yeah. something I want to try or some problem that I haven't kind of worked out. Do you write it down? I, yes. Yes. So you have a journal by your bed. Yeah, I, I absolutely. And I, is, I just is write Amy it down. like, what the hell? Go to sleep. I'm tired. Yeah. She, she's a very light sleeper. So I, she's like, oh. yeah, you woke me up last night, you know, cause then I'll have one of these, you know, I write it down and then I can't go back to sleep. So then I'm yeah. like, what do I do now? You know, toss it and turn it. But yeah, yeah you know, my mind does d- kick in and in, in weird times, you know, so, yeah. so entrepreneurs have a lot of things in common. So I'm looking at the two of you, and you two both journal. 
and you both have not a hard time sleeping, but you're always thinking. So Christine's thing, and I make fun of her, she tries to occupy every minute of every day <laughs> with, with, yes, it is true, <laughs> with activity. Dude, if there's an hour that she's got between meetings or whatever, we're hanging out, she's like, let's go walk the dogs. Let's go do something. I'm just like, can I just like sit down on the couch? Like, and, you know, watch TV? She's like, no, we have to be busy doing something. Like, and entrepreneurs are like that. You are always thinking about something that's next. Peter, are you like that? Can yeah, you relax? Do I, you can you relax? Have you learned that? I look pretty chill right now. Well, he does look pretty chill right now. <laughs> so I, I I I hear what you're saying uh, about the just wanting to sit for an hour because Amy is very much like that too, Christine. You know, there's in in her mind, and I don't want to speak for you, but there you know there's there's an hour of productivity, right? We could we could be getting something done. I. Her things, the things that she wants to get done are often not the things I want to get done. That's called being married. Right. Yeah. So yeah. She, yeah. she's like, we could be cleaning this. We could be organizing this. And I'm like, I really want to write a story right sure. now. I really want to do, you know what I mean? So, yeah. so, but yes, I, I do find, um, I pretty much work every day. I mean, I don't ever, I cannot it's remember a, a day that I just sat around. It's a labor of love and, though. So at, so at, at what point in success and when I think of success, I think of financial success. At what point in success do you take a deep sigh? You go, oh, all right. Now I've achieved I, it. I've achieved it. And now I can work on passion projects. And now I can work on stuff that can benefit humanity, can benefit my family, my town. Right? At what point, and I'm sure everyone has got a different point that they're like, okay, now I can do stuff that makes me really happy. And I think you're at that stage in your life where you're doing stuff that makes you happy. So it lasts about an hour and a half. Excellent. 90 because, minutes. Great. Yeah. Because, <laughs> well, for, for us. That's so, what I have to look forward to? 90 minutes of relaxation? Well, you'll, you'll, you'll not want to sit longer than that. But you, here's, here's what we've done. Amy and I have had several sort of milestones as a couple. All right. You know, yep. with our family, um, with, with the business, uh, with certain, you know, investments that we've made or paid off or, or whatever. Yep, yep. And I always, in advance of kind of knowing that's going to happen, I always go and buy a really expensive bottle of wine. Just, you know, I'll buy a, an Amarone or something like that, you know. Does I, not compute. What? I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't normally, you know, spend that much on wine, but I'll buy a really nice one. And then on the day that that happens, the deal closes, you know, the check arrives, whatever that yep. is. Uh, you know, we drink that bottle of wine together and then we take a Sharpie and we write the date on the label uh, of, and what it was. And then we put it up on we have a little the bottle. To, yeah. A little display case. And so we can look at those the milestones kind of moments. And then at that point, it's like the next day, it's like, all right, well, <laughs> you know, now we move on to the next thing. Wow. So so. So however long it takes to drink a bottle of wine, 90 minutes would be kind of fast, I okay. guess. But you know okay. what I mean. What's, what's, we, and we didn't talk about this, but what's the next milestone? Like, what's the next? Y yeah, like, what's next for thing? Peter? Well, you know, I have these two things going on right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have, I, I am the CEO of one company, of, of another company that uh, I've started. And then I am also the publisher uh, of a newspaper. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm... I'm and, and obviously writing a lot for that newspaper too. And so the next step I think is is thinking about how how to expand the newspaper in a way that serves the community, the communities that need to be served. Mm -hmm. We were talking a little bit about the problem of news deserts in this country, which is um, well, I was talking with Christine about that because you look perplexed right now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, so I'm hearing yeah, this. But the, the idea is that there, there are – so there's a massive decline in local news. Right. Okay, there's about, like a dearth yeah. of quality reporting in yeah. communities. Yeah. About right? 2,700 newspapers have closed in the last 12 years. So they're just gone. They just couldn't – they couldn't make the yeah. digital transformation. They mm -hmm. couldn't keep paying for the print. So what – and then there's massive consolidation. All right. So you have, you know, companies like Gannett that goes in and they buy lots of little locals. Mm -hmm. And then what they do is they consolidate the newsrooms. They move everybody who was kind of on the edge and they move them into a central office. So now the papers that are on the edge are still getting news, but it's coming from a place far away. 
Yep. And that ultimately doesn't serve the readers. It doesn't inform them well. So the idea is to is to is to find a way to economically, you know, to make it economically viable to continue to provide really good local news, uh, investigative news mm-hmm. to communities that have no news presence at all. Because what is certainly happening is their governments are running um, unchecked. They're running in an unaccountable way. And when that happens, um, it, I mean, all kinds of bad things happen. You so can so it's funny that, that we're talking about like this particular subject. So Christine and I were hanging out last night. We're watching CNN and we're watching Fox. And we're talking about, uh, at a very light level, politics and how one is gauged to Republican and how the other is gauged to Democrat. Is there a true neutral paper organization TV channel that is neutral and just serves the public and not their private interests and, you know, supporters and people who donate? Does that even exist anymore? In this country, I think your most neutral reporting will come from BBC. Really? And they're not even in this country. I think I think BBC, BBC America, I think maybe PBS to some extent, um, even though I think people want to would, would probably categorize that as a little more left-leaning. But yep. ultimately what the channels you, the the, pro, the stations, that seems not the right word, sorry. That's all right. Networks. The outlets. The networks. The, yes, sorry, the networks. Right. That you, that you mm-hmm. mention. I mean, what they're really doing is optimizing for clicks. They're optimizing for their audience. And I, I said clicks. It's really their audience. I mean, they're, they know that their audience wants to hear certain things. And so they've essentially decided that, you know, objectivity doesn't matter, um, that what matters most is the, is the commercial aspect well, it's of it. That's all a farce. So, so, I mean, are the things that they're reporting happening? Yes, yes. they are. Yes. Is this the right way to think about it? Um, maybe, but the way they get around that whole question is, well, we just put a panel of four, and I'll put air quotes, experts around who will yeah. give you their opinion. Yeah. So primarily you're watching opinion journalism from – 5 p.m. to 11 p.m. on any one of those networks. Wow. That's really interesting. So we are – so listen, when I when I first met Peter, um, it was like talking to someone I've known forever because we have, we have been in similar industries, right, across media and software and probably know quite a few of the same people. Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if it's all bit – I mean, it's not all a farce, but – like what is kind of real out there that serves the people and the people's interests, right? Listen, I know we didn't we didn't pre-jam on, on any of this as well, and I'm, and I'm going off on a tangent, but I think it's interesting that your newest endeavor as uh, as an editor and publisher, right, uh, puts you in a position where you you could make some significant change, at least at the community level. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, if, if that's I mean, you, you can listen, you can tell a story in the best way to tell the story, like whatever. Listen, it's like when you manifest something, you are who you are. And the words that come out of your mouth are indicative of your personality and your beliefs. So whether you're left or right, however you write that article is going to slant in that direction. I think it's probably impossible to write something neutral if that's just not who you are as a person. Everyone has an opinion. Sure. So so yeah, because the words you choose will even will even betray Correct. your feelings Correct. on something. So it, it's interesting. I I was talking to a guy yesterday uh about he's a guy in town uh who is plugged in. I mean, he reads the paper, he's plugged into politics and stuff like that. And I haven't spoken to him about what his opinion is of, you know, kind of the newspaper since I took it over. Why? Are you nervous to hear his I, feedback? I or? just just hadn't had the opportunity. Yep. Okay. So, yeah. Right. So I'm asking him. I'm like, well, what do you think? And he'd say, well, you know, I think people think you're a little more right-leaning um, than, uh, you know, based on what you publish and based on kind of who reads the paper and who comments, right? You're, you're probably lean a little more to the right, maybe even kind of far right. And I said, wow, that's hilarious. I, I voted for Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I, I, I'm the one in my family that yeah. gets teased for being too liberal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's so, interesting. So, but that's his perception based on the type of stories that I've covered. Now, if you look at 
the town of Hopkinton and you look at the, the composition of the people that the poli- people that are elected and appointed that serve the town, 82% of them are Democrats. So if I write something that's critical of somebody, it's going to it's going to appear to people that I'm actually that's so interesting, you know, yes. trying to do a hit piece on them. But the fact is, is that they're overrepresented sure. on, uh, you know, on the board in the town. And so but so that that's interesting. So I, I hear what you're saying. And I also heard what he was saying. I was like, wow, people really think that's who I am in my DNA. I'm not. I just don't like liars. And I don't like people that are not good at their job. Mm-hmm. And in, and I'm also not afraid to say when somebody's not telling the truth and I'm not afraid or to write, I guess, that they're not telling the truth and or that they're not very good at their job. I'm, I've not been afraid to do that. And other papers have been afraid to do that. Well, because they okay. – so listen, we, we, we started the question with now that you have some freedom, what is your passion project? No one can fire you, Peter. That's true. They can't fire me. And in fact, they can – what they've tried to do is put pressure on my advertisers to say don't advertise with this guy anymore. That's a very real thing. Yeah, yeah. it is a real thing if you're CNN, but it's not yeah. a real thing if you're me. Because right. I could right. just do this all day long with no advertisers if I want. Right. And I, Amen. You know, Amen. I mean, right. if I just feel like in my mind, you know, telling the truth and, 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 and saying it how it really is, I can do that. So that gives me some latitude, right? To- and this is your creative project on many levels, right? Like on some level, it's your – we're good. We're good. Um, okay. I have some questions that I usually ask. Um, is there a, you know, I know that, that, that Mark talked about next steps. Is there advice that you would share, right, um, with young people who, who were thinking about their lives and their trajectory, like, uh, understanding the generation they're in, having kids in college? What advice would you give to kids who were like, your kids' age today, as they think about the the crazy future they have to inherit, as Mark takes sh- selfies. <laughs> uh, as far as in, in with respect to like how to have a successful career, or if you if you could look back on your life experience and maybe the leaps that you have taken throughout your life, you did not. Say uh, leaps. I did say leaps. You did not say leaps. Mark Mark has a hard time with my my choosing that language. Um, <clears throat> what would you say? Like opportunities come. Um, well, I, I think I would say if you have the opportunity to go to college, do it. Okay. Okay. Um, you're going to be, if nothing else, you're going to be put in the right room most yep. likely. Yep. And you're going to definitely meet people who are going to help you probably get your first job. And then from there, you're probably going to meet your first spouse hopefully, and only spouse, right? But that's... Uh, I met my first. That's, yeah, that's how people meet, right? Yeah. Is, is through work a lot of times. So so I would say, um, definitely, if you can, go to school. Um, and if you can't, then what I, what I did is I worked for a lot of people and I kept a journal, as we've talked about. Yeah. And I wrote down the things that I didn't like about the way they ran their business. And I also wrote did down... Did you the, really? Oh, Yeah. I wrote. I also wrote down the things that I really liked about the way they did their business, the way they treated me, or the way they dealt with compensation. And I just kept that uh, journal because I thought to myself, "Boy, if I'm ever running my own company, see, everybody thinks that they're more important than they are. I mean, that's the first thing, right? Yes. Like, like how many times have you heard a guy say, "This company would be nothing without me," mm. right? I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a it, trope at this yes, point. Yes. Now. You know, the reality is, is that everyone is replaceable. I was the CEO and founder of my company and the company's still going without yeah, me yeah. years later. Mm-hmm. I was replaceable. So everybody's replaceable. That's the first thing. But but keep notes because just like, you know, if you, if you ever plan to start your own company or do your own thing, as many people dream of doing, you know, then you'll know like, yeah, these are the things that I really, these are the ingredients that go into, you know, making this successful, I think. So you know, take a lot of notes and and digest that. Never stop learning yeah. in the environment that you're in. I have a, I have a question, it's, and I'm and I'm remembering something from Kevin O'Connor, and you know you know Ko as well. Uh, Kevin O'Connor looks for opportunities. He actually looks for problems that need to be solved. 
and he calls it the BHAG. And he started DoubleClick because he wanted to be broken up by the antitrust committee, however yeah. that yeah, yeah, is yeah. said. What, how do you, how do you identify, do you identify it as a problem that can be solved in a humongous opportunistic way? Or is it is it different for you? Like, you're both entrepreneurs. How do you look at stuff you want to get into? Yeah, somebody, you know, that's a great question. Um, he's a lot smarter than I am. So he probably says, yeah, it's a problem that needs to be solved. And I can see an economic opportunity that's there. For me, I, I can definitely see the problem that needs to be solved. Yep. Sometimes I have to stretch to say if that there's an sometimes there's an economic opportunity. Sometimes I lie to myself and tell myself there is one. Yeah. And sometimes there just isn't one. It's like, okay, so is it a problem that's really worth solving then? Like, why hasn't anybody done this? That's the real question you got to ask yourself. If you're seeing a problem that you think needs to be solved, the first question you should ask is, why hasn't anybody else done this? And you'll probably find reasons. Uh, yep. And and the. An example is a company that I started with my daughter called the Penny Pack, which was a which it was really her idea. But it's you know, it it came out of her being at school um, at I think she was maybe 11 years old. And, you know, Amy, being the great mom she is, always prepared her for when she would get her first period, even though she wasn't even probably going to get it. But it's like, hey. If and when you're ready, you're ready to go. She had this little kit she would carry mm -hmm, with her. Mm -hmm. Well, the girls in her class, some girl in her class started her period. And Carmen's like, oh, I can help you. Here you go. Mm -hmm. Because as you probably know, yes. schools don't have this stuff just sitting around. Mm -hmm. Nobody's buying that. Mm -hmm. And so Carmen became known as like the girl with period products. We talked about this and we were like, you know, why don't girls know about this? Why don't they know their period? It's imminent. It's going to happen. Like, how come people don't talk about, you know, being ready? A natural ready, process. Something that's that... definitely going to happen. And, I mean, forget. I mean, like, there's so many moms that don't want to talk about it. And what they go is, well, my experience was, you know, I started my period and they shoved me in the bathroom with a box of tampons and told me to figure it out. Because the reality is nobody wants to demonstrate it. All right. Yeah. So we, Carmen and I and Amy created a kit that looked like a gift. It, it looked like um, a Tiffany box, yeah. okay? It was yeah. blue, like Tiffany blue. And it was called a penny pack. And in that penny pack, there was a, a zipper pouch with uh, tampons, pads, a couple of like kind of inspirational trading cards mm -hmm. of like females that had, had achieved a lot, like yeah. an astronaut and stuff. Yeah. There was a book that Carmen wrote about what your period is, but it was age appropriate. Your you know? dog yeah. wrote a book. Yeah. Of course. What, what your period is, <laughs> what's going to happen, yes. how to use a pad, how to use a tampon, like where it goes, all that stuff. There was another book written by two pediatric OBGYNs that we partnered with. They're called Girlology. They run a great program down really? in North Carolina. Super, wow. super smart. That talked to, talked a little bit about more about, you know, body odor and just sort of, pu you know, puberty changes yeah, that a girl yeah, is yeah. going to go through. And we shipped this out. All right. We shipped this. We shipped thousands of these. We sold and, them on Amazon. And you Amazon. were on Amazon. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We, yep. Sh we, we shipped thousands of them. And, you know, we ultimately stopped doing that business because you look at it and you go, the volume that it needs to hit in order to, you know, be economically viable is it's much larger than yes. the problem. But then if you talk to somebody, everybody's nodding their head going, yeah, this really is a problem. So what <laughs> really is a good idea? Okay. So, yeah. so what's the, what's the, What's the net of that? The net is super big problem. Everybody recognizes it. Nobody's solving it, but nobody wants to pay to solve it either. Right. And right. so that is where I should have stopped. And I mean, maybe I should have stopped and not done the business, but I'm glad we did. Yeah. You know, but because you made a difference. But ultimately, yeah. And because there were there are thousands of girls that were prepared for their first period because of Carmen. Yep. And that's that's I think great. That's huge. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Peter, as we wind down, um, advice to your younger self, knowing what you know now. Focus more on your academics. Get into a state school. Don't think you're going to be a rock star when you're 17. I thought I was going to be a musician. Really? Yeah. And well, what what is your instrument well, of choice? Then I was a drummer at that time. I was, and and I think. My dad even said to me, hey, are you going to go to college? You know, of course, you know, very late to the game, dad. But he might have said, are you going to go to college? I said, no, I'm going to be a rock star. What are you talking about? Duh. Wow. Don't you know? <laughs> dad. That's my plan. Yeah. He was like, okay, have fun with that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 
but that would be my younger self advice. Although, yeah. although, Focus on although, your academics. Even without look at look at who you have become and what you've been able to provide for your family and for your children and and the opportunities. Hunger is a powerful motivator. It never goes away. And you, dude, you know what else is, and it's so obvious with you. It's the human aspect. Be a friggin' human. Yeah, right? there, absolutely. We are in a world that is polluted by people who are trying not to show their true identity for fear that it will make them be soft, right? Being easy to talk to, work with, playing nice in a sandbox, all of these, air quotes, soft skills, right, are sought after by employers, by people who are like-minded. Listen, if you throw a room of, you know, aggressive A-types in a room of humble brainiacs, you know, it's like you will feed off of others who are around you. And if you can bring humility to a conversation, I think that changes the well, dynamic. And yeah, that was, I think the level of co- connection yeah, is that so... Was one of the first things I noticed about you when you're doing your cowboy stance was your level of humility. And I think you either have that or you don't. So, like, you're either... You either have leadership qualities and you, you're the guy, and you said it in your org chart, pushing everyone up. You're the guy in, in one of these tough mudders who's in the mud and people <laughs> are on your shoulders as you're lifting them up. And then you're the last person to go up because that's what a leader does. And you either have those innate qualities or you do not. And you, sir, do. Well, thank you. That was a, a very eloquent speech. <laughs> Peter, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. All right, y'all. Giddy up. Y'all heard it. Mr. Peter Thomas, thank you, sir, for joining us. We're out. Thanks, Peter.